And I don't think that in my career I would have made it whether I was in a producer role or whether, or, you know, now in a leadership role. I wouldn't have made it to where I was or where I'm at in my career if I wasn't constantly pushing myself because of that imposter syndrome. Hey, welcome to the Resident Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm delighted to be joined today by David Cathy. David is a partner at Unity Search in Dallas. He oversees two practices, Unity's Finance, Accounting, and Tax Consulting Division, and also Unity's IT Division. He has over 15 years' experience of executive recruiting, both on a direct hire basis, as well as on the consulting and, and contract side. Uh, throughout his career, his primary focus has been in accounting and finance and information technology. He was previously a financial analyst and senior pricing manager for a large multinational organization before getting into recruiting with one of the largest U.S. domestic recruiting firms, which uh, he worked the Dallas-Fort Worth market for seven years and was a top producer there before joining Unity Search. David, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Mark, it feels great to be on with you. Thank you. So uh, could you just explain how we've come to know each other? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've I've enjoyed your work for quite a while now, Mark. Uh, I've listened to, if not all, most of your podcasts, and I've just continued to walk away with great information uh, from all your guests. And and I honestly, I feel a little bit outclassed here, if I'm being candid with you. That I don't know. I'm like, why is Mark wanting me on the show? But I uh, ultimately, I ended up after listening for years, I ended up just deciding, you know what, I need to write Mark a review because I need to rate and review. That's how your podcast gets views. And I've gained so much value out of it that um, I don't want to keep it all to myself. And I think other people need to join in and listen. There's enough business out there for everybody in, in our industry, even within Dallas-Fort Worth. And so I, I thought that was, I got to do my part to help your show uh, reach more ears. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that means so much to me. And so I'll take over the story from there because I read your your review and was really, you know, that, w by the way, for listeners, I'm sure you appreciate there's a lot of work and effort that goes into this. And, and I love it. I would do it with no reward just because I love learning from uh, excellent people. Um, but when I do get those reviews, then it makes my day. And so I followed up with uh, David. We got talking and I realized, hey, I need to get this guy on The Resilient Recruiter. And uh, you absolutely deserve to be here, my friend. And we'll talk. You, you've mentioned imposter syndrome to me before, so uh, and that affects everybody, I'm sure. So we can, we can talk about that later, maybe. Yeah. But um, so tell me about, because uh, at uh, Unity Search, you're, one of the things you're responsible for is, is training and development. Um, could you tell me a little bit about how you guys do that at your, well, first of all, how many, um, people work at Unity Search and how do you do the training and development? Sure. We have 32 people that work, uh, for us at this moment in time. And we've grown rapidly over the past couple of years, uh, starting the IT division. We actually have two offices that are across the street from each other. So, I, I strategically wanted them across the street from each other so I could actually walk back and forth. And it was simply just because we were out of real estate space in one office. And if I was going to be responsible for uh, helping do some training. I didn't want to have to jump in the car, drive to another office. That's just wasted time uh, from my viewpoint. 
And so we we literally office right across the street. And so a lot of what we do, um, I would categorize it in a couple of different areas, you know, and I always talk about a land, sea, and air attack in terms of how people learn and how we should connect with our customers and clients. And so in terms of how people learn, there's different learning modalities, right? So some people are auditory, some people are practical, they need to apply it. Um, other people like a classroom setting. And so we really try to hit all of those modalities to really uh, gain the most, uh, put our people in the most advantageous situation. So when they start with us, there's a lot of just meeting in a conference room and and kind of a classroom setting where we're just going through some of the basics. And, and then we follow them to their desk. And sometimes it's someone from leadership that's sitting one-on-one at their desk and a lot of times we just partner them up with peers in the group. And, and that also gives our teammates the ability to um, know each other and learn each other uh, and their styles better. And, and sometimes it's one of those things, Mark, where it's train the trainer. So if I've had someone that's working for me for six years and I know they do a great job and I put them responsible for training and developing someone else on a very specific topic, then it really ingrains that topic in the person that's been with me for six years because they have that responsibility and, uh, and they want to make that person successful because if they, that other person's successful, well, then we all make more money and we're all more successful in what we do. So sharing that responsibility from a training standpoint, in my eyes, is really important. And then, you know, a couple of the other things that we do is we, we still do a training with most everybody in our organization once a month. We actually rent out a larger conference room and have everybody come in. It's kind of a lunch and learn. Um, and then my division specifically, we do uh, in our, our IT and our contract division, we also do another training once a month. And so it's one of those things where we're trying to create a, a culture of continuous learning in our company. And, and in fact, Mark, I need that, right? I'm kind of a continuous learner. That's why I listen to your podcast. You know, I'm, I think I told you, you know, I get an MBA in my car to and from work every day by, you know, listening, listening to different podcasts and, and hopefully we're passing that and paying it forward to our people. That's the goal. Beautiful. That was really well said. I'd like to dig into that in a little more detail. Uh, it's so important, and I should have prefaced this uh, question by explaining, because I interview so many uh, leaders of fast-growing recruitment businesses, and I, you know, I'm asking, what are the secrets? Like, what have been the critical success factors? And there's some recurring themes, as you would expect. One is, of course, you have to hire great people in the first place. People have the right attitude and mindset, and uh, who are you know who who want to be successful um, is is step one. Step two is you have to develop them and help them to achieve their full potential, and that's an ongoing process. And so that's why I was interested because you ex- explained you'd experienced such growth. Um, and I know that you're passionate about learning development, so I wanted to know how you do things at uh, Unity Search. So, um, Lancy and Air, I like that uh, expression. I, we'll, we'll talk more about that. I, I want, in case people missed it, because you said a lot there, one nugget I took away straight away is this train the trainer idea, which I love because 
I mean, there's so many benefits to that. Number one, as you said, it's if they're already successful at it, you want to replicate that success throughout the business, right? And uh, who better to teach that than the person, someone who exemplifies, you know, that particular strategy, technique, or or behavior? Um, but the interesting thing is that one of the best ways to learn is to try and teach somebody else. So by teaching or trying to um, communicate and convey that concept to someone else, it forces them to get better, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Of course, it shares the responsibility throughout the business so that it's not all on David Cathy's shoulders, which which helps. But also, it you know the. One of the challenges with being a, a recruiter is it can be, it's stressful and it can be monotonous and it's like a daily grind sometimes it feels like, right? And so by just giving people a little bit more variety, different things they can get involved in, different areas of responsibility, I think it keeps things fresh and keeps keeps people engaged. What, what do you think? Yeah, Mark, I would 100% agree with what you just said. You know, when when I pick someone on our team to train on a certain topic, sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean that they're great at that topic. And they understand the content that they need to train on, and they know how it should be done, but they're just not executing it. And so when you pass the torch to them to train someone else, it's one of those things where it's really beginning to implant in your own mind, like, man, this is really what I need to get better on this particular topic, whatever it is. I need to get better on this topic. And, and it's because I want this person to be successful. Their success on this one particular topic kind of rides on me. If you can get them thinking of that way, and that's not necessarily the case, right? It doesn't, you know, someone's success doesn't ride solely on a, a peer's shoulders. But if you can get them thinking that way, it really will shape the trainer up on making sure that they're passing down the correct content of what we want them to learn. And so I think that's such an invaluable tool to do, in addition to to piggyback off of what you just said a few minutes ago, you know, we really have people that will raise their hands like, hey, look, if you really need help in a certain area, David, I enjoy helping new people to our organization learn a topic, whether it's just making cold calls uh, to a hiring or warm calls really to a hiring manager, because we actually train that, you know, we we go through one of the things that we do is we kind of put people in a pressure cooker situation where in front of the entire classroom, you know, I will have someone's profile pulled up and I will just say, okay, in front of us all, you have one minute to review this profile and tell us how you would formulate an email to make it warm or tell us how you would leave a voicemail for this person or what if you got them on, on the phone. And it becomes a pressure cooker situation because you've got 30 other eyes staring at that person, wondering what they're going to say. And then afterwards, what we do is we let, I let our team provide that person feedback. And what's so great about it is we try to lead with the good things. I really liked how you said this, or I really think it was good when you said that you would lead your email this way. And then we come in with some correction. You know, I think what another angle you could have take, taken is 
whatever that is. And so they're really getting that instruction from their peers. And I think that bleeds over into an area of just a sticky culture where they can tell that their peers now want their success. And they can tell that in a pressure cooker situation in front of all of their peers, they got really good uh, positive feedback and they got constructive feedback. And then when we hire another person, that person will pay it forward to the next one. And then it just becomes that cycle that plays out in the future. And, and that's really what we're after. Love it. That's, uh, that's so cool. Um, so you explained that when people first do what's the sort of mix when you're hiring people uh, of experienced versus kind of people who are new to, to recruiting? Yeah, we, we have a tendency to hire more people who are newer to recruiting, or maybe they have like a year, six months of experience. Um, we do not hire many people who have, uh, you know, years of experience in our organization. Um, partly is, you know, we're, we're very cautious of non-competes and non-solicits. And, you know, anytime we do hire someone who might have some experience, you know, we are, we have a firm stance on, we will not support violation of any of that stuff. And sometimes that dampers productivity um, in people. And so what we've developed is something that's probably more common in the UK than it is in the US, though it's becoming more common in the US is kind of that new hire training program where we'll hire whether it's interns or hire, hire fresh grads and we'll assign them to specific teams and work with them to bring them up to speed. And every year we look to have three or four people that we bring on board via that method with the goal of having all of them stay and moving them into the right position in the organization. Fantastic. I love that. And what's your, because this is always an interesting one. What is, you, you explain partially because of the, you know, someone can have a restriction, a, a restrictive covenant or a, uh, a non-compete, uh, which dampens their productivity for six months or however long, but what else is behind the decision to focus primarily on growing your own talent? Well, you know, as you know, when you grow your own talent, sometimes it's a little bit of a longer ramp. Yes. Um, and so, you know, there are there are occasions where we've opted for that because um, we have a we have a somewhat of a specific way of doing business um, at Unity. It's it's our culture and how we present ourselves. And when you hire someone who has a lot of experience. Um, Sometimes they may do some things that, that we don't necessarily do, whatever our system, our methodology is, and, and it hasn't worked out necessarily all the time. This is a lot by trial and error. It's not that we haven't tried. Um, it's a lot what we've learned over the years by trial and error. And so we have found that we have more success in having a lower churn on our end when we bring someone up in the building, uh, the business, knowing it's going to be a longer ramp than just pulling someone from another firm. Now, don't get me wrong. If we find talent at another firm um, and we feel that they fit us, it really, really has to be a, a really good culture fit. And, and once we've identified that this is just a phenomenal culture fit, we're going to pull the trigger. Um, and, and usually when it is such a good culture fit, 
that person is so humble um, and they don't let ego get in the way that they're willing to say, hey, you know what? This is a fresh start for me. And there were so many things over the years at my previous company that I wanted to do, but I was 15 years in and it's really hard for me to hit reverse and go backwards and do all those things. And this gives me that fresh start to be who I want to be in the business and do some things that I never would have been able to do because I was just 15 years deep in my other company. And if we can find that, we'll absolutely move forward with that person. Yeah, that, well, that's cool. Absolutely. And I, I tell our clients all the time, if they're hiring, look, <clears throat> don't rule anyone out who's experienced because you know, there's some fantastic people. And if they are, as you say, a, a really good match for your culture, uh, then, then, then that's ideal. On the other hand, I would every time hire attitude over experience if, it, if you had to choose one or the other, because you can teach some of the skills, but it's so hard if their mindset isn't, you know, and isn't right, then that's, that's not something you're going to fix, right? That is something that they're bringing to the table. And uh, you can have someone who on paper, it looks like they've got five years experience, but really they have one year experience repeated five times. And uh, so you, it's, it's easy to get swayed by, wow, look how much experience this person has. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, the, the, the top person, right? So Funny, Mark, um, we actually talk about that a lot. Okay. 15 experience, but it's your first year 15 different times. So they're right. not progressing in their career. And, and I too would say that we would hire attitude, um, effort over years of experience. And, and one of the reasons behind that, uh, in addition to what we've been talking about, is when you do have some type of restrictive covenant, you know, you're really taken back to being a new recruit. You got to do some of the things that you probably haven't done for a, a long time. And that's really hard to do for someone who's seasoned and been at one company for a long time because, you know, we should never leave the basics, but we all get away from the basics of our industry because our relationships develop and they progress. And so, uh, in theory, the job should become easier as you move along in the number of years that you've been doing this job. And when you start over, um, you have to do some stuff that you haven't done for a long time. And that can be a real challenge for people to do. And a lot of times that, that person doesn't stick because they don't want to do that. And, and then you're left with making a decision on someone um, who just doesn't want to do some of the basic stuff to get their business up and running for a particular period of time, say it's a year or six months, or even a geographic radius. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great, great point. Now, of course, hiring rookies and training them has a downside, of course, which is that it does take time. There's a longer ramp, as you mentioned, and it takes quite a lot of thought and, and attention effort. So um, how have you developed that over, like, it sounds like you've really got that a finely tuned machine now. How did that evolve and, and how much of your time is dedicated to that? Yeah, well, I would say, um, you know, it starts in the interview, Mark. And, you know, when I got into this business, I would say that the, the first year and a half or a year, I did what I highly recommend not to do. And I just kind of dipped my toe in the water. 
And I thought, you know what, if this doesn't really work out for me, I can fall back into pricing. And as the year and a half went by, I realized I really don't want to go back into finance and pricing. That, that just wasn't the career for me. And so that's when I decided, as they say, burn the ships. And I actually use that term a lot where you would burn the ships. And what I'm referring to is, you know, in, in 1519, and I use this with, with people during my interview process, in 1519, you have Hernan Cortez where the Spanish are trying to conquer Mexico. And once he landed on the beaches, he burned the ships meaning we are going to conquer this or we are going to die. There is no plan B. And I, I really talk through that with people that we're going to hire that, you know, if you come in this dipping your toe in the water, you're really not going to give it everything you have. And you're already looking for an escape route. And this job can be really tough and because you have two people making decisions, right? It's not an inanimate object. You've got a hiring manager and a candidate who are making decisions and you can't control people's decisions. You can influence them, which is what we're called right. to do. And so Absolutely. it really starts in that interview, Mark, that we try to have these discussions and make sure people are know what they're getting into. And we, ask, we actually ask them to go away and consider that for a day or so before getting back in touch with us. And then once they do, you know, I've got, I've got three great business partners. And so we all take responsibility for those new hires and helping train them. And, you know, there's, there's some standards that we want our people to live up for. And there's, you know, in our industry, there's some terminologies like, you know, there's minimum expectations. And you hear that a lot. And it's usually tied to KPIs. And I think when you group those words together, um, it really gives a bad and a negative connotation to KPIs. And KPIs are actually meant for a good thing. It's meant to help people be successful in this job and show them what to do. And so we should manage appropriately. And so for us, you know, we'd, we'd rather call them, this is, our, this is a unity standard, um, not a minimum expectation. And so we want to talk to them about those standards. And that's just a data point. It doesn't mean that we make decisions only on KPIs or on these unity standards. It's a data point into the decision, and they're very aware of it. One of our core values is transparency. So we're very transparent with people who start with us and, and telling them, this is what our expectations are. These are our standards. These are what we see that, that we need you to meet, and we're going to go over it with you. And so I think that communication up front is critical, and then we all have a hand in their growth, not just myself and our business partners, but Everybody at Unity is responsible for everybody else's success, whether it's our office manager, our VP of finance, um, or any producer. We all shoulder that responsibility for each other. I love it. That's so cool. Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you want to be respected as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Our sponsor, iIntro, gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. 
you will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation. And if you mention that you listen to this podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. I'd like to learn more about the values, but first... Could you talk more about the Unity standards? What are those standards and and how is that um, managed? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we've we've tried to make it really simplistically uh, for us. You know, sometimes KPIs um, can kind of get out of whack where it's like, well, we're only managing to these KPIs, again, back to the negative connotation, which is what we do not want. But we also don't want a culture where there is no standard. And then, you know, how can you manage what you don't measure? And so there has to be some level of, of measurement that we manage to. And again, it's just a data point for us. And so what we've really tried to do is, and this has gone on for about two years now, is, you know, is gamify it, right? So whether it's fitness or, you know, younger people coming up in, in life now, I mean, they're really into video games. And so we've tried to gamify it where, you know, we will measure um, new, new connects. That's one of our measurements. Whether it's a phone, you know, when I first started, it was all phone. And, but now Same. it's phone, it's email, it's text, it's LinkedIn message. And it's okay, whichever avenue it is. But we always want to keep an eye on new connects because recruiters notoriously, and I was one of them, Mark, where you get so busy with the stuff that you have in the pipeline that you're not connecting with new people. And the stuff that you have in a pipeline, it you can feel at the end of the day, oh my gosh, I was so busy. I was doing all of this stuff. And, and really, it could be a bunch of busy work. And your next week or your next month doesn't look good because you weren't constantly trying to keep your pipeline full, whether it's client prospects or candidates. So we monitor new connects. Um, we monitor interviews. Um, and we try to make sure that we have enough interviews on a weekly basis and we monitor uh, client visits. That's the process. We, we try to put process over outcome. The outcome of that is going to be send outs to our clients where our clients are interviewing the people and then a placement or a start on the contract side. Those are the outcomes, but we really try to keep people focused on the process. So you've, you've got to think about process over outcome because if you work the process well enough, the outcome is going to happen to you for you. Um, and so when I say we gamify it, it's, hey, look, you've got, one point for a new connect every week. You've got, you know, if you're working a contract desk, you have maybe two points for an interview. If you're working a permanent desk, you have three points for an interview because it's a little bit more challenging to get those people in an interview. Contractor wants a job, so it should be a little bit easier. Perm person is working a full-time job. Sometimes those connects are more challenging. And then if you have a client visit, which is the hardest of those, that would be four points. And so at the end of the week, we're really looking for someone to equal 40 points or more. 
And that's kind of a standard. And they can make up make it up however they want to. You know, if they have a week where they have, you know, 10 client visits, man, that's fantastic. And you had no new connects, that's great. Probably the following week, you're gonna need a lot more connects because you just had all these client visits. So they get to choose how they're creating these points. They have the freedom to do that. Um, and the goal is let's hit 40. And how we manage it is on a weekly basis, we send them a dashboard. And what I love about that dashboard is it has two charts. One is a chart that says, here are all the people on this particular team. And it's, it's a graphical representation of how many points they scored that week. And so you can see who had 52 points and you can see who had 25 points and everybody on the team receives it on a weekly basis. The second chart on that is a pie chart. And the pie chart basically says for this particular division, the person that had 52 points, that person made up, let's say, 20% of the outbound new activity of our team. And the person that had 15 or 20 points, that person made up 5% on that team. And so everybody can kind of get a glimpse of what their contributed effort as a whole was for our division. And really, you want people who have that competitive nature that are like, man, I, I don't want to be 20 points. I don't want to make up only 5% of our positive outcome on a weekly basis. I've got to improve in these areas. That's why we're really trying to focus them on that process because we know that if they execute there, then the outcome's going to happen in terms of send outs with our customers and in terms of placements and starts. I love this. This is uh, the point system and the gamification is, uh, is brilliant. Um, it reminds me of, um, I've not spoken to him for quite a while, but uh, I still consider him a friend. He's a, a wonderful recruitment trainer based in Atlanta called Bob Marshall. Uh, he was with MRI for years and years, and, and then he went out and became a, a very successful recruitment trainer. And he had what he used to call a 100-point sheet. And the goal, it was a similar idea, but your goal was to get 100 points a week. And different types of activities were worth different amounts of points, depending on how difficult they were and so on. And it was very much a tool to manage, you know, from one day to the next, where your points come from will, will be different. But as long as you get your target number of points during the week, then you are doing the things that lead to money and, and you know, you've, you're, you're going to have a successful month and, and quarter and year and so on. Um, so it's, it's brilliant. Well, I was going to say, Mark, here's what's so great about it is it's a self-management tool. Yes. Right? That's what we want people to learn it as, as a self-management tool. Um, and, and everybody knows that I look at it for our divisions every single week. And, and the culture that's been created from that has been just this week, we had two people that, you know, they, play, they pay such close attention to it now because they care so much. We had two of our, our people who said, I think my points are wrong. And one of them in particular, you know, was like, I'm getting way too many points because I don't think I had this level of activity and corrected it. Oh, wow. And that's it, fantastic. Because it matters that much to them. Um, and, and I love it that it matters so much to people because they really care. 
Definitely. And also that's um, a positive sign if people are correcting you, not just if they think they haven't scored enough points, but also if you think that if they think you've credited them with too many points, that's um, that speaks of, a, of, of having the right character. Um, something which you might want to think about um, it, that, so uh, my friend Joel Slenning, who is uh, co-host the Apex coaching group with me, um, had this a similar idea with the gamification. And what they did was Instead of it being a weekly, it was a daily update, and it was uh, it was like it wasn't quite real time. There is technology now; you could do this in real time, but it you know it, it there's there's an investment for that. Um, but it was like a daily update, and it was on big screen TVs in the office, so that like at all times they could see how am I doing on my points. Uh, and how am I doing compared to my peers? And he said it became such a self-managing culture that he credits that with like uh, driving tremendous growth in in billings. Just that one thing was the transparency of how am I doing, you know, from towards my own goals, and how am I doing, you know, compared to my my colleagues, and fueling that sort of friendly competition um but it was really just the same it was the same concept you just described for sure yeah i i actually i like that um idea it, it probably would take a little bit more from a management standpoint to update that um but i i, I do want to make one other note on this uh particular topic and that is you know we sometimes say, well, uh, at least leaders, and I was one of these leaders at one point in time where it was, it became, um, you know, is this micromanagement? And I think people struggle with that. Sometimes I still struggle with that today. Am I micromanaging? And, you know, I really think if, if your people know how much you care about them and their success and your investment in them, and you give them these self-management tools, then it's the micromanaging is really, uh, you know, what were you doing between this this time and this time? How come you weren't making any calls during this time? Right, and yeah. making them account for every second of their day, and and that is micromanaging, and and what's not micromanaging is just purely giving your teammates, your people, the ability to uh, evaluate how well they're doing knowing that you're looking at it, but then they become uh, accountable to themselves and to each other. And, and that's just part of a culture that I'd love to have people on our team really sink their teeth into where it becomes a self-management tool and it's not a micromanagement tool. It is really because you care for them and you want them to be successful. Absolutely, David. That is such a huge factor is really that intention behind it and the fact that you care about them and you have you want them to be successful i think that's huge um also i think when people talk about micromanagement they're they're really looking at this in a completely wrong way because as a business owner or leader or manager you're part of your a big part of your job is coaching people and helping them to maximize their performance and achieve their own personal goals like everyone you know, it, your job is a vehicle for you to achieve what you want in your life, right? And so everyone has goals, things that are important to them. And 
as as the leader or the or the manager, you f- you feel a responsibility to help people to achieve their goals, and part of your role is coaching. and And uh, coaching means agreeing with someone on what the what the objective is, and then you know uh, holding them accountable. And then you know if they fall short in a given period of time, then it's just having that. Uh, coaching conversation with them and asking them questions to get them to identify what specifically they're going to do to level up the next time. And so if people think of it as a, as a like performance management really is coaching is a huge, huge element of it. It's not standing over someone. Yeah, go ahead. They have that that old adage, you know, you want to inspect what you expect. Right, and, right, right. And you have to model that as a leader, but then you you really want your teams to do that for themselves. You know, if I expect to, because this this is the whole methodology of recruiting, right? If I expect that I want to make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and I've recorded things properly in our ATS system, then you can back all the way down to this is how many, right? We all know this. It, this is the recipe, right? How many interviews do I need to do? How many client visits do I need to do? You know, how many job orders do I need to take? And so if you can get people to learn to inspect what they expect for themselves. You know, I learned a long time ago a little saying, um, you know, don't fool yourself and you're the easiest person to fool. And so... <laughs> You know, in our job, we often want to point the finger at other people or situations or if that hadn't happened. And we're always looking to point a finger. It's not just our job. It's it's kind of just life, right? We're always looking to point fingers at other things. And when you point, if you literally go through the motion, and I've had our teams do this, if you go through the motion of pointing your finger at someone, you have three fingers pointing back at yourself, right? And so... Take a look at yourself. Inspect what you expect um, before you're looking for some other reason that you're not achieving the results that you want to achieve. I love it. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks, But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. What you're talking about is ownership, which is, and taking responsibility for your own results, whether those are spectacular or, you know, under, underwhelming is taking a responsibility rather than, you know, especially in recruiting, there's so many things you can't control. And the tendency is to 
complain or blame, well, the candidate said they were going to do this, but then they did that, or the client moved the goalposts or, you know, these sorts of things. And um, the analogy that I use is, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between blame and responsibility. So I give the example, my uncle Morris in, in London a few years ago was in a terrible car accident. Fortunately, he's, he's fine now, but he uh, was at a uh, an intersection, the light turned green, and he's you know, started driving across and someone else coming perpendicular to him had the red light, but they were trying to get through before that, you know, before that started and they sideswiped him. He woke up in the hospital and it was, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a pretty serious uh, accident. So then when I'm, you know, facilitating a workshop on this, uh, like managing clients and candidates typically is the context for this conversation. And I'll ask them like, whose fault was that accident? And of course the recruiters always say, well, it was the other driver. And I, and that is true. It was the other driver's fault. They were to blame for the accident. They weren't following the rules of the road. They were behaving incorrectly and, you know, going against the red light, but whose responsibility is it to make sure it was safe to, to go, proceed into the intersection. And then they pause for a second. They go, oh, well, I guess it was your uncle's responsibility. Exactly. And now what could he potentially have done differently to have avoided that car crash? You know, because it's not much consolation that is the other guy's fault if you're the one who gets hurt, right? So what could he have done differently? And then he brainstormed, well, he could have just double and triple checked like that to make sure it was safe and and so on. And I think there's a lot of parallels here with the recruiting process, which can end up in a car, in a car crash if we're not, you know, really paying attention and double and triple checking and not making assumptions and and so on. So ownership, I think, is a big theme for me. Um David, there was something you said earlier I wanted to ask about, which is client visits. This is something I don't hear people talking about much these days. I'm not sure. I mean, even before COVID, um, I don't know if client visits have gone out of fashion, but or if it's just people are, if someone's recruiting nationally or internationally, then it's less relevant. But if you run a local desk or you're recruiting in the local market, um, I think it's so important to meet your customers face-to-face. What's your philosophy behind that? Why have you made it one of your key standards? Well, you know, if uh, you're not going to date someone long-term and develop a long-term relationship if you haven't seen them face-to-face. And, you know, COVID, the pandemic, really took that out, right? Because everybody went remote. And what ended up happening, at least for our business, and I got to imagine other people's business as well, is you know, your client visits turned into just, you know, phone call check-ins, which was great, right? We need to be doing those. That's a component of our businesses, especially during that time. Hey, how's you, how are you doing? How's your family? And that was really important. What can happen, though, um, coming out of the pandemic is now we're just only doing phone call check-ins. And we're not taking the opportunity to try and get back out there and get in front of them. And so in in our succession, it's, we really want to try to get in front of people again. And and sometimes we can't because some companies are still remote um, and and they haven't opened their offices back up. And, uh, but we're going to try. And and sometimes it's meeting them for a cup of coffee 
And, and they, they love that because they're getting out of their house. I mean, it's been a few years now. They're getting out of their house and they appreciate that opportunity. Some just don't want to do a client visit and that's okay. Let's hop on a Zoom call. Let's do what you and I are doing today and see each other through a screen. And that's a level better than just taking a job brief over a phone, never laying eyes on the person. They don't know you. You don't know them. To me, you've become an order taker working at a fast food restaurant. And we always want to position ourselves as more than just an order taker. And we may start as an order taker. It doesn't mean all of a sudden we get to jump into a consultant's role with that customer because you have to earn it for some customers. And that's fine. We're willing to put in the work to earn it. But really to solidify those long-term relationships, we don't want to be a commoditized vendor. We don't want to sit back, at least for our organization. We're a boutique firm. We serve Dallas-Fort Worth. That's what we focus on. And so we don't want to sit back and just throw people into some type of VMS system all day long and hope they get an interview. You know, we want to work on skills of persuasion and influence. And, and part of that starts with our clients and our candidates knowing who we are, what we look at. Matter of fact, one of the things I've asked all of our business development people to do, and we don't have a spot for this in our ATS system other than just a note, but I've asked them, I really want y'all to come away with some personal, inf- I don't care what it is, but I really want you to come away with some personal information about the person that you're meeting with. You know, where they went on vacation, spring break here in the U.S. A lot of people are on spring break. So where are they going or where did they go? Or do they have pets or how old are their kids? And I really want, I've, I've challenged all our BD people and, and some are great at it. And some, it's really pushing themselves outside of that comfort zone. And so, you know, use what you're comfortable with. If you can hear a dog barking in the background and you're a dog lover and you have a dog, then I've got to send you a picture of my dog and create that human connection with them. Because if we don't create that human connection, we fall into this vendor category. And and that's just not the relationship that we're looking to create with our clients, Mark. I love it. It's uh, it's so so true. And um, so for client visits in your company, what's the what's the standard? Is there a number of you know people I want to see per week? Or yeah, well, remember on our forty point thing, it was you get to create the forty points. However, oh, you that's want. true. So it's up to and them, so, but they're yeah. So- one of the ways I designed that was, you know, hey, look, if if you can get to 30 new connects over the phone, then then really you're at least doing three client visits a week or two client visits a week. You're doing X number of interviews a week if you're running a split desk, right? So if you've got recruiters only recruiting and business development people only business development, you know, you can create that 40 points. And so we're not trying to hold them accountable. This is the way you have to do it. You have the freedom to hit that mark however you see fit for your business. And, and that's really our goal. But we do want to get them out in front of them. We don't, we don't want to just do phone connects and say, this is our client. At a minimum, we need to, we need to Zoom call or Teams call with them like you and I are doing today. Yes. 
Absolutely. So you said two or three. That's what I used to, when I was running a desk, I used to try and do two or three client meetings per week. And I just found you got so much more information as well as rapport and insight into that person. It just took the relationship to a different level than you're able to get over the telephone. And if clients were you know, reluctant, oh, I'm too busy or whatever, then the counter argument, which almost always worked, was to say, look, I'm your representative in the market. The candidate's first impression of your firm may be through their interaction with me. And for me to do this justice and really sell your opportunity and attract the very best talent, isn't it worth us spending 30 minutes having a coffee so that I can really feel confident that I understand not only who you're looking for and who's going to be a great match, but what it is about your organization that makes you an attractive place that people should build their career. And then they're like, all right, let's do it. You know, there's... Yeah, yeah. I love that, Mark. In fact, what's so funny is um, we've talked a lot about uh, certain clients of ours that are new clients because we're really putting a huge effort in our business development people broadening and deepening our relationships, but broadening the number of customers that we're working with. And what's really interesting is there are many occasions where I've told them, you know, we, you should take it upon yourself that you are having to train these hiring managers on how we do business and why it's better for them to do it this way and creating that relationship. Because we're not ultimately at the end of the day, we're not interested in sending you know, seven, eight, nine, ten resumes over to a client and say, hey, pick from these. You know, we really want to get to a point where we're sending two or three resumes. We know what they want. And, um, but we have to train many managers or at least make the attempt. You know, some, some people are going to be resistant and, and that's okay if they're resistant. Maybe they're not a match for us. Or maybe the manager sitting in the office next door is a match for us. It's just you're not a great match for us. And, and all of that's okay. But sometimes we have to make it incumbent upon ourselves to train them because they're in their comfort zone of, well, here's the job description. Aren't you going to send me people now? <laughs> and, and so we take it upon ourselves to really push to train them instead of going, okay, here's the job description, guys. And then working something and, and a candidate gets passed on. And we really don't know why because we, we haven't even worked to have control. 100%. That client training and education piece is like an ongoing effort that is so, so important for sure. Um, you mentioned VMS there for uh, a minute ago, vendor management systems or portals. I hate these things. Are, how, um, are you seeing a lot of customers who are wanting to move that way and you know get you to upload resumes through that kind of a system? And how do you deal with that in order to maintain the quality of the process and the communication? Yeah, well, Mark, luckily, knock, I'm going to, I think, touch wood, as, as you guys say over there, knock on wood over <laughs> here. Um, we have very few customers that have a... MSP or VMS type of system. Mm -hmm. And those that do, um, we have found our way to work around those systems um, based on the relationships that we've had with the leaders in the organization. 
Because really, it's just, it's not for us if it's really low level and you just want a low level work, which we don't do a lot of. Um, really, our, our work, especially on the contract side of the business, is much higher level contract work. Um, you know, we're not just going to be a person that funnels people into a system. You know, we, we want our salespeople to be motivated. We want, um, let's say, the variable comp, the commissions. We want them, their compensation to uh, be variable comp is larger than base. Yes, for sure. And the quicker way to get there is to do, for us, either higher level business. Well, I'd say it differently. The slower way to get there is to just sit there and feed VMS systems all day long because right. your margins are compressed. You don't have good relationships with managers. They're just picking the person that they like the best out of a resume that they get. And so for us, when we have worked with those customers, we've gone around those systems and based on the relationships that we've already had. And we just and we're honest with them. We're like, hey, look, this is the person you need. Uh, but we're not willing, the market rate for the person is not what you are dictating to us. This is the market rate for the person. And if you want the person, we're willing to give it to you, but for this market rate, not what you are trying to dictate to us based on some procurement guideline. And if they don't budge, then we move on. We just, we don't do the business. It's just not in our, the market is too good right now as it stands to spend our time filling VMS systems with no relationships for a procurement person that has no idea what the talent level is and how difficult it is and specialized skill sets for a procurement person to dictate to us, well, this is what you need to pay for this person. They're not the professional in the market. They're there to control cost. We're there to find the best talent for our clients. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, David. You, that, uh, you know, was well said. Um, I wrote an article for Recruiter Magazine over here in the UK a few years ago about why I hate VMS systems. And then people w- could comment, obviously, on that article. And I got a lot of pushback from recruiters who were working in that way, defending why they did that, and um, which, was, which was interesting. But um, I definitely think like you do on that. Um, David, do you, do you mind sharing uh, something a little more personal? Because you you mentioned to me previously that um, imposter syndrome is something that you've um, dealt with. Could you say a little more about that? Because I think, although people don't necessarily talk about it, it's something that everybody feels, you know, once in a while. Yeah, well, Mark, I've, I've really worked on changing my attitude attitude towards imposter syndrome and and I'll get to that in a minute how I'll use it how how it's just morphed into being a, a benefit of mine um but I've I've always just felt that um man I don't belong in this room and 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 possibly you know a lot of that is driven from just fear of failure and uh and wanting to stay in your comfort zone and really to progress as a human, at least for me, in my opinion, I really have to work hard to push myself outside of my comfort zone, you know, and, and I have to recognize the steps that I've gone through is recognize, okay, 
right? Right now, David, I'm going to label it. You're experiencing imposter syndrome and you may not feel that you um, are or should be in that room. Um, but let's take one foot step, one foot in front of the other and let's enter the room anyways. And let's see how you can manage yourself. And the worst thing that could happen is that you learn from whatever the environment is, whether it's other people or a particular situation. And, you know, it's held me back in, in, in my career um, in different ways from not wanting to engage with a particular client or not wanting to engage with a particular candidate because I didn't feel like I was good enough to call that person or they were out of my league. And, you know, you have all these mental tricks of, well, they just put one foot and, you know, they put one pant lug on just like <laughs> you do and, and all these goofy, which I've taken myself through. And what's worked for me, Mark, is I've really just learned that, um, you know, I, I've labeled it, you know, hey, David, you're experiencing imposter syndrome. And, and really, this is an opportunity for you to become better and you need to push yourself forward and get out of your comfort zone. And, and what's happened from that, where I've turned that into a real, um, I don't ever think that, oh yeah, David, you've made it, you've arrived, you have no more imposter syndrome ever again. I'll never reach that point in my life. But what it's propelled me to do is it's propelled me to become a continuous learner and to really challenge myself. And, and I don't think that in my career, I would have made it whether I was in a producer role or whether, or, you know, now in a leadership role, I wouldn't have made it to where I was or where I'm at in my career um, if I wasn't constantly pushing myself because of that imposter syndrome. That forced me to learn. That forced me to become engaged in podcasts like yours and start listening to them and many of the other ones just from a pure leadership standpoint or meet with other recruiters and ask them, how do you do your business? Tell me how you got to the point where you are. And, uh, and so I really view it as in a weird way, almost as a blessing now in my life than what I viewed it before, which was I'm out of my depth here. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being willing to talk about that, David, because it's, um, I think that's going to be helpful to so many people listening and it is uncomfortable to talk about. And the fact that you like the, the idea of pushing outside your comfort zone is, is huge. Like to be successful in anything, then that is, uh, absolutely required. And, um, the fact that you've turned it around into a kind of benefit that has actually enabled you to continuously learn, grow, and de develop yourself um, is phenomenal. I well, um, go ahead. I feel like we all face it, right? Mm. We, in some form or fashion. I remember yeah. when I had first started in this industry and you know, I worked at a bigger company and I remember people coming in and, and from the United, you know, I'm, I'm from Texas. I'm, I'm a Southern guy, you know? And, uh, so maybe we take things a little bit slow. And I remember people coming in from our New York office and, and talking to them. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, man, they are brave. They're phenomenal. Look at, look at them. Like they're just willing to pick up the phone and call anybody. I, I don't know that I'm ever going to be successful at this job. Because if that's how you have to be, I'm not sure that I can make it. And, uh, and then fast forward, you know, you, you make it. And, and you, you build, you overcome it by the facts of your life that you've lived, 
right? Your thoughts aren't facts and um, your thoughts also aren't your reality. Your reality is what you end up making it by taking action on that reality. And your thoughts can mess with that. You know, this, a lot of what we do in recruiting is a mind game. Like this is, you know, it's almost like you have to have an athlete's mindset and really work on your mindset to be the type of person you want to be. And so, you know, just remembering thoughts aren't facts and the thoughts also aren't, they're not my reality. I create my own reality and I will have to overcome these thoughts to create that reality. And the worst thing that comes of it is growth. And I'll take that all day long. Absolutely. Well said. That is fantastic. Um, I, I am in the same boat, uh, David, in that because of the level of people who we've attracted in our, into our coaching program, very often I'm helping people who wake, make way more money than I do. And, but they've come on this journey with us because they want us to help them be more successful. And if, if you start, like it, I could easily use that as a, as a, you know, uh, that could mess with my mind and make me think, well, how, you know, who am I to help them when at least in terms of it by a financial you know, measure. There's other measures of success, of course, but by that measure, they've already surpassed me. And um, but then, that's when I'm focused internally and focusing on my strengths or limitations. And and in order to be of service to others, you have to focus outwardly on how can I bring value, how can I help. And I find that when I put my focus on those things, then I don't. I spend less time worried about my own uh, shortcomings, uh, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think um, you want to surround yourself. You want to build a team around yourself where um, they believe they can learn from anybody that they meet on a daily basis. Like I truly believe. I use an example all the time with my team that. I can learn from my high school neighbor, the, the little girl that's my high school neighbor. I can learn from her. So I'll engage in a conversation and I'm going to learn from her. You know, So anybody that I meet, I can walk away from that conversation learning something. And, um, and really, if you can surround yourself and build a team where they, they feel that same way, and, and it's not, for some people, it's not natural. But you know, you kind of get caught up in the wave. If, if your whole team is doing that, a person that that's not natural to, they begin to think, well, I can learn from anybody else on this team too, you know, and you just kind of get caught up in that wave. And now you're all riding the same wave together. Um, and, and that's the type of environment that, that we really want. We don't have it all every day and we're not perfect at it. But that's really the environment that we want, that we can learn from anybody that we meet on a daily basis, whether it's related to recruiting or just your personal life. Fantastic. David, um, what's, next at, uh, what's next at Unity Search? What's the, the vision over the next years? Yeah, well, you know, we, our core focus and the fastest growing area of our business right now is our finance, accounting, and tax contract division. And so we're putting a lot of effort there. We've also just relaunched our IT division. Um, we, we tried maybe two years ago, didn't go as planned. Um, and so we've just appointed a guy that's been with us for six years. 
And, you know, he was itching for the opportunity. Every position that we put him in, he's been very successful for us. And so this was an opportunity to put him over our IT division. So now we're really growing that IT division. My number one job order, Mark, I tell this to our team all the time. My number one job order is recruiters for our IT division, you know? And then my number two job order is recruiters for our finance, accounting, contract division. Those are my most important job orders that I'm working on on a daily basis so that my team can work on filling the needs of our customers. Fantastic. That makes total sense. That's really where we're going. You know, our vision is let's grow that uh, area of our business while we, you know, we're going to achieve incremental growth in our perm business, our finance and accounting perm team and our tax perm team. We'll still have incremental growth on, but that business, those are, those are 12 year old businesses. And so it's going to be incremental growth. The finance and accounting contract division, it's, two and a half years old. The IT division is two and a half months old. And so that's where we're pushing our investment. And that isn't going to be incremental growth. That's going to be fantastic growth. And it already has been for us. Beautiful. I'm so happy to hear that, David. And uh, look, thanks for your time today. Really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I hope we can keep in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.